All right, guys, we're going to get into the preaching of the word today. We are wrapping up our teaching series called The Signs of the Times. Uh, we have been studying the Olivet Discourse, which was Jesus' teaching on what we should look for to know that the end times are coming. And uh, we have been pressing into this. And can I just say, it's pretty cool, right, when, when you see the Bible lining up and, and you see God's handiwork uh, in, in using different people in different moments and different times. And so obviously we've been studying the Olivet Discourse, which uh, is Jesus telling us straight from his own mouth, this is what the end times are going to look like. And then we look at the book of Revelation where John is given a series of visions and messages of what the end times are going to look like and to see how those line up. Right, Because if you read Revelation chapter 6 and the breaking of the six seals that are upon the scroll, when the first seal is broken, the white horse goes out, which is an imposter for Jesus. And what's the first thing we talked about that Jesus taught us? Deception. The white horse is deception. The second, the third, and the fourth seals are broken, and a red horse, a black horse, and an ashen horse go forward. The red horse is war, the black horse is famine, and the ashen horse is pestilence. What did Jesus say would come at the end times? But wars and rumors of wars and famines and plagues and natural disasters, right? And then the fifth seal is broken, and what do we see? We see the martyrs, those who were murdered for the name of Jesus, standing before the throne, worshiping God. What did Jesus say would happen in the end times? The world would hate us and persecute us and kill us. And even some of our own brothers and sisters would betray the church and turn us over. And then when the sixth seal is broken, what does he see? The sun goes black, the moon turns to blood, the sky goes dark, and people run and hide in the caves. What did Jesus say would happen right before his second coming? The sun would go black, the moon would turn to blood, the sky would go dark, right? So I just love looking at this and everything that Jesus taught he then showed John in a vision of six seals being broken off of a scroll. It's all lining up. And so uh, we've been digging into this. And again, remember, I want to encourage you. Uh, number one, we're not supposed to change it. Right? Our fight is not to change the things that are happening, the increasing birth pains that are happening in our world and in our culture. Our goal is not to change it. And the other thing that I want to encourage you in is we are looking for the increase of these signs. I don't want to see any of us get consumed in looking at minute details and saying, is this it? Is this it? Is this the end times? Is this what's happening? Is this what's happening? Let's not, let's not get consumed with the minutia of the details. Let's just be aware of the increasing birth pains that are happening around us when it comes to deception and wars and famines and plagues and persecution and betrayal and all of the things that we have talked about, including the last one, that we're going to talk about today. So if you've got your notes, you can find your notes in your bulletin. They're attached to this video on our website. They're attached to the audio of this podcast. And they're also in our church app if, uh, if you like to use our church app. Here's our big picture point today. Is that in a world that increasingly rejects Christ and spirals into lawlessness... His followers have the privilege of shining brightest in the darkest days. 
Come on, I want to I want to end this thing on an up note. Yes, we are going to talk about lawlessness because that's that's our our, our main point today. But I want to end this thing on an upswing. We can we can get to fretting sometimes where we're like, "Woe is us. The world is so evil. You know, it, it's it's never been this bad before. You know, why is this happening? You know, the all these things that we say. Instead, what if we just shifted our perspective and said, "How amazing is it that we got chosen to live in this day and and that we got chosen to live in this time whereas things get darker we're just going to shine brighter and that's what I want us to walk away with today and so before we even get to the Olivet Discourse I want to start in Philippians 2.15 that Paul wrote this so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Come on, we are called to live in a crooked and perverse generation, and we are to appear as lights. I actually prefer the more literal translation of appear as lights is to shine as stars. We are called to shine as stars. And what do we know about stars that are shining? The blacker the sky, the brighter the stars shine. Man, if you drive out to Pulahale and you camp out there and there's no ambient light from the cities and, and the campfires go out and it is just pitch black and you will see more stars than you have ever seen anywhere in your life because the blacker the sky, the brighter the stars shine. Come on, we have been called to shine brightly in the last days. Amen? Let's go to Daniel, who is our most significant end times prophet of the Old Testament, and let's see what Daniel said. He said, now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, right? This is Michael, the archangel, who is the, the leader of all the warrior angels. He says, Michael will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. What does that sound like? The great tribulation, right? There'll be a distress like there's never been before. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued, right? So what did we talk about? Jesus is coming back for his church. And then he says, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt, right? All the dead will rise and be judged. But then he says this, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So as Daniel is prophesying about the last days and the end times, what does he say? But that those in the last days who have insight and who lead people to righteousness, which means we lead people to Christ, that we will shine like stars forever and ever. So we keep asking the question, what are we to do in the last days? Well, this isn't even in your notes. This one's just a freebie. But what are we to do in the last days? We're to have insights. We're to know what's going on. And we're to lead people to Christ. And if we'll do those things, we will shine like stars forever and ever. Come on. Now let's get to the Olivet Discourse and let's talk about this. Matthew chapter 24. 
And we're picking it up in verse 12. Jesus said, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So we're going to talk about lawlessness today, right? Jesus said lawlessness will increase. That word lawlessness in the Greek is anomia, and it means this, to behave with complete disregard for the laws or regulations of a society. To behave with complete disregard for the laws or regulations of a society. Lawlessness. When I think about this, actually one of the places I think about is Haiti. Right? Haiti is a nation right now that is experiencing lawlessness. Haiti was already struggling. They've got a long, complicated history, uh, both as a French colony and as, as an American territory. So there's all kinds of struggle, right? But Haiti shares the same island with the Dominican Republic. Little island, two little nations, and the contrast is just shocking. Prior to the COVID pandemic... The Dominican Republic would get about 8 million tourists a year, and Haiti would get maybe a million. So an 8 to 1 ratio. Why? Well, because in Haiti, they have struggled with political instability and, and corruption in their government and economic instability. And so then, of course, when everything shut down in COVID, all of the tourism shut down. And so their economy plummeted. Uh, inflation took hold. Uh, and then the current president and his regime were being accused of corruption and, and you know, keeping all the money for themselves. And there were protests that were breaking out everywhere until in July of 2021, the president was actually assassinated. The prime minister who took over in his place has actually been implicated that he had something to do with it. The very next month, in August of 2021, Haiti was hit by an earthquake, and then the very next week hit by a tropical storm. They got a double whammy of natural disasters right in the moment that their government was collapsing. And out of that vacuum, what happened is that street gangs rose up and began to take control of the country. You guys remember, we prayed for two months because 17 American missionaries were kidnapped by these street gangs and held for ransom. And they all escaped and got out alive. But to this day now, the streets are run by gangs and drugs, and everything has to be done by bribing the gangs or giving your money to the gangs so that you can live and operate, and you might be kidnapped off the street or you might be accosted. All of these things are happening. That is a picture of lawlessness. And Jesus says that's going to increase. Just like last week, we talked about that in America, we're pretty sheltered from persecution for now. And in America, we're also pretty sheltered from lawlessness. Like, we can't fully grasp what that would be like to live in Haiti. We might be seeing some of the beginnings of the birth pains, right, as police officers are vilified and defunded, as we're seeing drug cartels bringing fentanyl across our southern border and, and kids are dying now at an unprecedented rate from fentanyl coming in. We may be seeing some of the beginnings of the birth pains of what lawlessness is. But can we talk about what lawlessness really is? 
The Apostle John said it pretty plainly in 1 John 3, 4. He said, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. Or we could inverse it and say lawlessness is sin. Why will lawlessness increase? Because we have a sin problem in our world. And the more and more that people reject Christ and shake their fist at God, the more we're going to see lawlessness increase. And I think we have to come to the reality that what we have is a sin problem. We have a rejection of Christ problem. This past week, there was a shocking tragedy as a transgender individual went into a Christian school and murdered six people until she was gunned down by the police. And as all of that unfolded publicly, some people in their hearts may have used it to pass judgment on transgender people. Other people in their hearts may have used it to pass judgment on Christians. The left says this is a gun control problem. The right says this is a mental health problem. And we all fall in different places. But can we just say that this is a sin problem? That this is just a reflection of a rejection of Christ and it's only going to get worse as we move forward? Think about last year, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, which personally I celebrate. Anything that would save even one life of a baby, I rejoice in. But changing the law didn't change hearts, right? People became more angry. There was, there was more division. There was more hardness of heart. There was more going on. Why? Because it's not a legal problem. It's a sin problem. Lawlessness is sin. Sin is lawlessness. In 2 Thessalonians 2.3, which is a verse we've read in almost every one of these sermons in this series, the Antichrist is described as the man of lawlessness. Right? That's, that's who he is. Titus 2.14 says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. Jesus had to die to redeem lawlessness. Why? Because it's a sin problem. It's not a cultural problem. It's not a legal problem. It's a sin problem. The great theologian Frederick Dale Bruner said it like this. Sinful human beings always practice lawlessness. But there will be a unique lawlessness at the end. Good will be called evil, and evil will be called good on a massive and unprecedented scale exponentially. People will glory in their shame. That is his description of the end times. And that comes right from Isaiah 520, right? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Lawlessness will only increase, and we're not supposed to stop it. What are we supposed to do in the midst of it? Still not to your notes yet. Hang on with me. First thing we're supposed to do is we're supposed to endure to the end. Jesus said those who endure to the end will be saved. We are supposed to remain faithful and loyal to Christ Jesus and to his church, and we're supposed to remain faithful to his purposes upon our life until the very end. Those who endure to the end will be saved, Jesus said.
So no matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark it gets, no matter what we face, that we will stay faithful. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. Right? Jesus told a parable where he said a a father went to his two sons. And to the first son, he said, go out and work in the field. And the son said, yes, I'll go out and work in the field. But then he didn't go. And the father goes to the second son and says, go out and work in the field. And the son said, no, I don't want to. But then a few hours later, he went out and worked in the field. And so Jesus said, which one was obedient to the father? The second one. The one who was obedient in the end, not the one who said yes in the beginning. And in one of the scariest verses in the Bible, Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's not those who say, Lord, Lord, at the beginning. It's those who endure to the end who will say we will not let the lawlessness of this world infect our faith or our relationship with Christ Jesus. So now let's get to your notes. What are we to do? The first thing is keep our love warm. Jesus said, because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. In the NIV Bible, those scholars chose to translate it as the love of most will grow cold. So whether it's many or whether it's most, the reality is, is that the worse and worse that our world gets, the colder and colder the hearts of people will get. That word for grow cold is actually the word psycho, which I find interesting. Because a lot of times when you read Greek words... You're like, oh, yeah, that sounds just like an English word. But when we hear the word psycho, we don't think of it to mean grow cold. But apparently, in the original Greek, that's what it meant. In fact, its literal definition in the Greek was to blow air across something to make it cool. So imagine, Robert's my example right over here with his hot cup of coffee. Imagine you got your cup of coffee and it's too hot. What do you do? You blow across it to cool it off. Yeah, you go psycho when your coffee's too hot. All right, so. (laughs) You blow across it to make it cold. That's what the world is doing to humanity. It is blowing upon the hearts of humanity and causing the hearts of humanity to grow cold. And what are we to do as followers of Christ in these last days? Keep our love warm. Do whatever it takes to keep your love for God and your love for people warm. Ephesians chapter 3, I'm actually going to start one verse early, Karen. In verse 17 it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Come on. 
We want to know the depth of God's love, and we want to be filled up with that love so that no matter what we see going on in this world, our hearts won't grow cold. Romans 5 says, Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Come on, we have got to keep our love warm. And so if there is anything that causes your heart to grow cold, Shannon addressed this a couple weeks ago when she was talking about the news. If listening to the news makes your heart grow cold, if there are certain things in the media, television, movies, music, if there are certain relationships, if there are things that are making your heart grow cold towards people, stop consuming them. And instead, let's be consumed with the love of God. Let's press into worship. Let's practice the presence of God. Let's practice silence and meditation. Let's read the word. Let's let the love of God soak into us so that no matter how bad the world gets, our love stays warm. Dr. David Jeremiah says it like this. It's hard for the devil to blow his cold breath over a heart percolating with God's love for those in need. Come on. What a great picture, right? The coffee is in the pot back there. It's a big pot. And the pot is continually being heated. So if you tried to stand back there and blow over that pot, it wouldn't ever get cold. Why? Because it has a heat source. But when you blow on your cup of coffee, it does cool off because it's been disconnected from the heat source. Don't allow your life to get disconnected from the heat source. The devil's going to keep blowing. But as long as the love of God keeps flowing, he will never cool you off. Come on, keep your love warm. The second thing, what are we to do? We are to be kind. Come on. In a world of coldness, can we stand out for our kindness? Be kind. I read about some different studies recently on the diseases of despair. And medically, these are defined as diseases that happen because people are hurting, right? So we're talking about things like addiction, anxiety, depression, suicide. First, there was a Harvard research study that was done in February of 2021. So this was in the height of the pandemic that concluded that 36% of all Americans were suffering from serious loneliness. And what was amazing is that among young adults, that number jumped up to 61%. That's 61% of all young adults, just think 20-year-olds in our country, are suffering from serious loneliness. The British Medical Journal in 2020 reported on diseases of despair in the United States. I find that humorous. I don't know why the British Medical Journal was reporting on diseases of despair in the United States, but it's a reputable journal. And they did a survey of, of uh, medical uh, insurance claims over a 10-year period from 2009 to 2018. And in that 10-year period, they discovered that all diseases of despair increased by 68% during that 10-year period. And then they got really specific. Suicidal thoughts among teenagers increased by 287%. Substance abuse among senior citizens increased by 172%. 
substance abuse amongst newborns, which obviously means substance abuse among young mothers, increased by 114%. We are living in a lonely, hurting world. And what they need is kindness. They don't need political arguments. They don't need people shouting on social media. They don't need angry protesters. They need kindness. Because Romans 2.4 says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And, I mean, Jesus' teachings are full of our call to kindness. Right? He told the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said, which one is being a loving neighbor? The one who took care of the beaten man. He talked about that it's those who visited him in prison and clothed him when he was naked and gave him a cup of water when he was thirsty. It was those who would go to the kingdom. And people said, when did we ever do that for you? And Jesus said, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Over and over again, we can survey the New Testament of the Bible and see that the call to kindness is one of our greatest calls as followers of Christ and that it's that kindness that is going to change people's hearts. And so in a world where we can do nothing to change the increasing lawlessness, we can still do everything to change people's hearts. We're not supposed to change the culture. We're supposed to reach the individuals that God has put into our life. What does kindness look like for you? Jesus talked about kindness that we show when it's difficult. Right in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Come on, when was the last time we turned another cheek to somebody? Because usually when we get slapped in the face, and very few of us have ever been slapped in the face physically, but when we feel slapped in the face because of a post on social media or because of a politician or because of something else, our human nature is to escalate it. But what if we stopped escalating it and we just turned the other cheek? Jesus said, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. I read an interesting study on this that most people in Jesus' day had several shirts, but they only had one coat. So what Jesus is really saying is when somebody asks you for something that you, only have, that you have a lot of, give them the thing you only have one of. That will show a new level of kindness. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. This was referring to a Roman law that any Roman soldier could mandate you to carry his gear for him for one mile. But he couldn't ask you to go a step further than one mile. So Jesus said, what if you carried his stuff another mile? Just because. Would your kindness win over a Roman soldier? Because we know Jesus' kindness won over a Roman soldier when he stood before the dead body of Jesus on a cross and said, my goodness, this is the Son of God. 
Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is saying, come on, don't just show kindness to people that are already nice to you. Anybody can do that. As followers of Christ in the last days, let's show kindness to people who aren't nice to us, who upset us, who are different than us who cut to the core of who we are. So I encourage you to ask yourself this question. Who is below my kindness? Because God answered this question for me in a very stark way. I think this was back in January. I had just dropped Rachel off at the airport late at night. She was catching a red-eye flight. And then I stopped in at Walmart, which I'm not a big fan of doing. I don't like Walmart, but it's right there next to the airport. So I ran into Walmart. And you guys know the running jokes on the Internet that you see strange people at Walmart. You can Google it. Um, But anyway, I'm in Walmart late one night. And this guy walks by, and just by his mannerisms and, and his intensity and, and the speed by which he was walking, I just thought to myself, man, that guy is wasted. He is high on something. But he just walked by quickly. I just saw him between aisles, and then I went back to grabbing what I was there to grab. And then I'm walking down the, you know, the main long drag across the front of the store as you're making your way back to the cash registers. And I could see that guy, and a lady was with him. And then I saw two teenage girls pass by him, and they made fun of him. And I smirked. In some small way, I approved of it until I caught up to him. And I realized this man wasn't high. He was physically and mentally handicapped. He didn't have a shirt on. And the lady that was with him was his mom trying to get him to get his shirt on as he was acting out violently. And as soon as I saw that, my first thought was, oh, my God, Those teenage girls were making fun of a handicapped man. And my second thought was, shame on me, because I was okay with it when I thought he was high. But then suddenly I wasn't okay with it when I realized he was handicapped. Why was it okay for me when he was high? Are people that are high below my kindness? And God convicted my heart that night. If you were to ask yourself that question, who is below your kindness, what would God speak to you? And I would say that those are the very people that you could have the biggest impact on when you show the kindness of God in these dark days. And then finally, what are we to do? We are to share the gospel. We are to share the gospel. Gospel in the Greek is the word evangelion. So obviously you see that and you're like, oh, that's where we get the word evangelism from. 
evangelion. What does it mean? Well, the word angel in Greek actually means messenger. It can refer to heavenly messengers, the angels of God, but it can also refer to human messengers, have also been referred to as angels. The, the prefix ev means good. So evangelion means a good messenger or good news. That is the gospel. It is good news. And I know we live in a day and age where we like superlatives, right? Amazing, fantastic, wonderful, the best. Good just doesn't seem to measure up. But in the Bible, good is actually the best word there is. Because the Bible says that God is good. Jesus said no one is good except God. So good is the best word we've got. And so the good news, the gospel, is the best message we've got. And Jesus said this, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, we can read this verse with 2,000 years of reflection of how the church has advanced around the world. But think about how crazy this sounded when Jesus said it. Right, Jesus, his entire life, never left the nation of Israel, an insignificant little nation within the Roman Empire that even the Romans were annoyed with. He had never left this country. Nobody outside of Israel knew who he was. Even within Israel, yes, the crowds followed him, but in the Jewish history books, there's just little mentions of him. Jesus, the one who was crucified. And so this rabbi, this teacher, who had barely even impacted his own tiny little country, which is just a tiny little sliver upon planet Earth, is now telling his followers that this message is going to affect every nation and every people group across the entire planet. Think about what it sounded like to his followers when they said that. What an undertaking. There is a ministry called the Joshua Project, and they actually research world missions. And according to the Joshua Project, there are 17,427 people groups on planet Earth. Different tribes, different ethnicities. 17,427. And Jesus says that the end will not come until every single one of those people groups has heard the gospel of the kingdom. So how are we doing? According to the Joshua Project, 10,013 of those people groups have been reached, which means there are still 7,414 unreached people groups on this planet. And most of them are in remote locations or closed countries or dangerous places. But Jesus says the gospel will reach them all. And then, of course, we know that in Acts 1.8, Jesus says when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that we will be his witnesses even to the remotest parts of the earth. So what we have here is we have Jesus saying there is a gospel message that will reach every part of the earth. And then he says there are spirit-filled gospel messengers that will also reach every part of the earth. What does that mean? That means that we have an unstoppable message carried by unstoppable messengers. And that is some good news. And guess what? We're a part of that. We're a part of that. We need to share the gospel. Again, publicly, 
We're going to get ridiculed more and more. We're going to get mocked and persecuted more and more. We're going to get shoved to the side more and more when we declare the gospel publicly. But where we will not get shoved aside is when out of kindness we connect with somebody's heart and we share the gospel with that individual and they give their heart to Christ and everything is changed for them. Here's the great news. The Bible says that in the last days, at the same time that there is this great apostasy happening and people are falling away from the church and people's hearts are growing cold, Jesus said at the same time that's happening, there is going to be a great harvest like the world has never seen before. John, in the book of Revelation, he got the vision of this, of of a people too numerous to count, standing before the throne worshiping. And one of the angels says to him, do you know who these people are? And John says, no. And he says, these are all the people who come out of the great tribulation. A harvest too great to count. And we get to be a part of that. How? By sharing the gospel. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel message. It's the good news. It's the best message the world has ever heard. How do we share the gospel? In showing in speaking, and in supporting. Those are the three blanks in your notes. In showing, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Let your good deeds so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In speaking, Romans 10, 14, but how can they call on him to save unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Listen, kindness is the first step to connecting with people's hearts. But we also have to have the courage to open our mouth and speak the gospel of Jesus. Otherwise, our kindness will just make people feel good while they're going to hell. And that's not our goal. So we've got to show it, we've got to speak it, and we've got to support it. Listen to what Paul said about the church at Philippi. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Aphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, and pleasing to God. What do you hear? The church at Philippi was continually supporting Paul's mission to the world sending him repeated gifts that sustained him as he continued to preach the gospel and plant churches. And he says, I don't seek the gifts. I seek the fact that the fruit of my ministry is being credited to your account because you supported it. So we've got to show kindness. We've got to show it. We've got to speak it. And we've got to support it. I want to see Kauai Bible Church become a great worldwide mission supporting church again. We were, there was a day when we were, and we have not been for a while, and I want to get back there. I'm praying about somehow this fall, I don't know what it's going to look like, uh, but about doing something to spark our passion for world missions again, that we would be a great supporting church. But don't just think we can throw money at it. We also have to show it and speak it and support it. Amen? Let me have the worship team come back up today. I want to encourage you in this. In a world of bad news, let's be the good news. 
And I want to tell a story as we wrap up. And then we're going to pray and we're going to worship. But I want to tell the story of a man named Joseph who was a warrior of the Maasai tribe in Central Africa. In 1986, Billy Graham raised millions of dollars because he wanted to bring together 8,000 of what were dubbed the barefoot evangelists. And these were tribal people in remote parts of the world who had come to Christ and who were passionate about sharing Christ with their ethnic people groups, but they had no education and no training. And they were in dangerous places and they were in jungles and they were in remote areas. But Billy Graham wanted to bring them together so that he could pour into them so that they could be better equipped to share the gospel. And so 8,000 of them gathered in the Netherlands. Most of them had never been on an airplane before. Most of them had never seen indoor plumbing before. Joseph, the Maasai warrior from Central Africa, was one of those 8,000 barefoot evangelists. And Billy Graham got to hear his story. He came to Christ one day because he was walking along a dusty road in Central Africa and somebody shared the gospel with him and he believed it. And right there on the road, he gave his life to Christ and he was filled with such joy. He couldn't believe that there was a God who loved him so much. And as a brand new believer, all he wanted to do was go back to his native village and tell everybody else about this Jesus so they could have the same joy that he did. So that's what he did. He went back to his village and he went to each hut and he would knock on the door and the people would answer and he would begin to share with them about Jesus. But he was confused because instead of being filled with joy like he was, he saw anger and hatred rising up. And he would go to the next house and knock on the door. And all he saw was anger and hatred rising up until eventually all these men came out of their huts, grabbed Joseph, pinned him to the ground while the ladies of the village took metal barbed wire and began to whip him with it. They dragged him outside of the village and left him to die. Joseph crawled to a watering hole and laid there as he recovered from his wounds, and all he could think to himself was, I must have told the story wrong, because how could anybody get mad at this story? So he assumed he must have left something out, he must have missed a key detail, but when he was healthy enough, he walked back into his village and shared the gospel again, and they whipped him with barbed wire again and drug him outside the village. He came back a third time. They pinned him down. They began whipping him with the barbed wire. But this time, right before he lost consciousness, the last thing he saw was the woman with the barbed wire began to weep as tears ran down her face. And then he blacked out. And what he didn't see is that the men holding him down also began to weep and tears streamed down their face. When Joseph woke up, he was in his own bed, and the very people who were whipping him were treating his wounds and trying to save his life, and the entire village gave their life to Christ. That's what I call being the good news in a world of bad news. That's what I call showing kindness even to those who used to be below our kindness. That's what I call showing and speaking and he was willing to pay the price to see his whole village come to Christ. 
Come on, Kauai Bible Church, what price are we willing to pay? How far are we willing to go to be a part of the great harvest of the last days? To be the ones that Jesus said would endure to the end and take this gospel message to the very ends of the earth. Will you stand together with me? Let me have our prayer altar ministry team come forward and and prepare to, to pray. Jesus, Jesus, Lord, would you speak to us today? Thank you, Lord, that even in these pictures that you gave us, that you spoke yourself, you gave them to the prophet Daniel, you showed them in revelations to the apostle John, all of these pictures of the last days and of how dark and how difficult and unprecedented it would get. And yet, Lord, you told us that we would have joy, that we would have purpose, that we would be a part of something so much greater than ourselves. And so, Lord, as we complete this message of the last days, Lord, let our lives be shaped by this prophecy. Let our priorities fall in line with your heart, Lord God. And, Lord, let us not be beaten down and grow cold because of a dark world. But, Lord, let our love burn even stronger. Let our light shine even brighter. And let us rejoice that we get to be your missionaries in these last days. And Lord, maybe you'll send some of us to the ends of the earth, but some of us, you'll just send us to Kekaha. You'll send us to Koloa. You'll send us to Lihui. You'll send us to Kapa'a. And you'll send us with a love that's burning in our hearts, with a kindness that will connect with people, and with a message that will change their hearts. Jesus, Jesus, would you do this work in us? Lord, would you minister to our hearts today? Would you let your word come alive? that there would be a great shift in us. Lord, we embrace the call to be a last day's people, that we will have insight to see what is happening in these days, and we will lead many to righteousness because we weren't afraid to love the one. Even when the culture hates us, Lord, we won't be afraid to love the one. Jesus, Jesus, speak to our hearts today, Holy Spirit. Let the fire of our love burn. Let the kindness of Christ flow through us. And let the words of the gospel be upon our tongue, Lord. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.